Welcome to this episode of Litigation Briefs, Media Shorts on Law and Courts. I'm Scott Dodson, a distinguished professor of law at UC Hastings College of the Law and the director of the Center for Litigation and Courts, which produces this series. This series has covered quite a bit of detail on civil litigation in trial courts, along with a few episodes on the Supreme Court. In the federal system, though, there is a middle layer of courts that hear the first appeals from the trial courts. This layer is called the U.S. Courts of Appeals. It's also known as the circuit courts. How are these appellate courts organized and how do cases reach them? Here to help me with these questions is my guest, Brian Lamont, a professor of law at University of Toledo Law School. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. How are these courts of appeals organized? So there are 13 total U.S. courts of appeals. Uh, Twelve of them are separated uh, geographically. So you have what we call the 11 numbered circuits. These are the first, second, second, uh, first circuit, second circuit, third circuit, uh, all the way up to the 11th. Um, and these all cover at least three states. So, for example, the first circuit um, covers Maine, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, and also Puerto Rico. Um, the Ninth Circuit, it covers a bunch of states. It's Washington, Oregon, California, Alaska, Arizona, Hawaii, Idaho, Montana, Nevada, and also Guam, the Northern Mariana Islands. I mean, so most of these, they cover at least three states. Some of them also have territorial courts, uh, like the Ninth Circuit does. Um, and then uh, we have the other regional court of appeals, which is the DC Circuit. And that just covers the District of Columbia. So it hears appeals from the District Court for the District of Columbia. Um, it also hears some appeals involving certain agency actions and when federal agencies make decisions. Um, there's also one that has sort of a nationwide jurisdiction that's divided by subject matter. This is what we call the Federal Circuit or the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit. Um, it primarily deals with patents, but it also has some other specific subject matter areas uh, like claims against the United States, for example. It will hear appeals from those sorts of cases. Um, but ultimately it's those 13, 12 of them separated out geographically, one of them separated out by subject matter. How many judges do the circuit courts have? So there's a big variety in this. So it can range from really, really small, like the first circuit I mentioned before, has only six judges on it. Um, the ninth circuit, which is the largest, has 29 on it. And that's not even counting what we call senior judges. Um, so after a judge has served for a certain amount of time, they can take something called senior status. It's sort of like a semi-retirement, but they can still hear cases. And so most of the courts of appeals have a number of active judges and also several senior judges as well. How do the courts of appeals hear cases? So the courts of appeals hear cases almost entirely in three judge panels. Um, so when a case gets appealed, a three judge panel is randomly assigned and they normally make the initial decision in the courts of appeals. And in most cases, it's gonna be the last decision in the courts of appeals. Um, every so often though, we can have a case where a larger group hears an appeal um, in most courts of appeals, that's going to be the entire court. And this is what we call an en banc proceeding, where the entire court sits en banc. So, for example, in the First Circuit, all six judges will hear a case. Um, if a case goes en banc in the Fifth Circuit, normally that means all 17 judges will hear a case at once. Um, the Ninth Circuit's a little bit different since it has so many judges. I mean, as I said, it has 29 active judges. When it sits en banc, it's usually going to have about 15 of them 
sitting together at once. Um, and those en banc proceedings I mentioned, they're, they're pretty rare. Um, they're normally there for cases that are of um, substantial importance, uh, but also to maintain uniformity in a circuit's case law. If a circuit has issued two decisions that are inconsistent with one another, that's when a court goes en banc to figure out which one to follow in the future. And when can a case be appealed from a trial court to a circuit court? Well, as you probably talked about in your uh, videos or podcasts on the trial court proceedings, the district court proceedings, district courts can make a lot of decisions throughout the course of litigation. Um, for the most part, we delay appeals in federal court until the end of district court proceedings. After all issues have been decided, there's nothing left but enforcing the judgment. You know, we generally don't want cases bouncing back and forth between the trial court and the court of appeals. Um, that could bring a lot of delay to litigation, and it also would let better resource uh, litigants harass the other side with a bunch of appeals. Um, but it also saves some appellate work by consolidating all the issues in the case into a single appeal so that a single three-judge panel decides all the issues in the case in a single decision. What are some of the procedures for an appeal? So appeals start in most situations with what's called a notice of appeal. This is a really simple document that lets the courts and the parties know that someone wants to appeal. Now, after that, the rest of it is done primarily and often entirely through written arguments. The parties file briefs in which they present their arguments for why the district court made an error or why the district court didn't make an error. So the party that wants to appeal will file a brief, the other parties can then respond to that. And the party who's appealing actually has the option to file what's called a reply brief to respond to what was filed by the other parties. Um, now, sometimes there's oral argument as well. This is when the lawyers for the parties have a uh, oral presentation to the three judge panel that's hearing their case. It can last anywhere from like five to even sometimes 30 minutes or longer, but it's primarily a time for the judges to ask questions of the attorneys that they have about a case. Um, if there's not oral argument or after oral argument, the judges, that three-judge panel, then deliberate. They decide, at least preliminarily, what they think the court is going to do. And then one of the judges is assigned to write an opinion explaining the decision of the court. Um, once that's done, if the other judges agree to it, they can sign on to it. If a majority of that three-judge panel agrees to what's been written, that becomes the opinion of the court. Um, and the other judges can also write separate opinions explaining why they agree or disagree with the court's decision. That's what we call concurring opinions and dissenting opinions. What are the standards for deciding the appeal? So um, the party who loses below on some issue, they're the one that's going to appeal. And to succeed on an appeal, they got to do several different things. Um, first of all, they normally have to present their argument to the trial in the first instance. Um, we want the trial court, the district court judge, to be the one who gets the first shot at any sort of issue. Um, but after they appeal, they then have to show that there was an error committed in the district court. And that's actually a little more complicated than it might sound. Um, with some issues, the courts of appeals will review the arguments, and review the question, what we call de novo. That means they're going to look at it anew, with no deference to what the trial court decided. But there's a lot of decisions that a trial court makes that the courts of appeals look at deferentially. And what that means is there's a range of correct or affirmable answers. There's a range of reasonable options. And so long as the district court picked among those reasonable options, there's not going to be an error. And that's the case even if the court of appeals judges might have come to a different decision. Um, and then finally, if you're going to win an appeal, one thing you got to show is harm. 
Um, there's a doctrine we call harmless error. And this is uh, comes from the old adage that everyone's guaranteed a, a fair trial, but not a perfect one. Mistakes are sometimes made in the district court, but sometimes those mistakes don't actually affect the ultimate outcome. And so if a party wants to get a reversal of a district court decision, it needs to show that this district court decision um, likely affected the outcome. And that's what we call showing harm. So the uh, National Basketball Tournament March Madness recently finished up. So I have to ask, which circuits would be the number one seeds in your bracket? And who do you have winning it all? Oh, yeah, that, that's tough because there's not a, a great criteria for ranking the circuits. I think you might be able to draw some analogies, though. So um, you have sort of those really well-known perennial teams who are always in the tournament, Duke, Kentucky, uh, Kansas, North Carolina. Those are your, you know, well-known circuits, like the Second Circuit, the Ninth Circuit, and the D.C. Circuit, which you hear about a lot. Um, but there's also some, you know, sort of lesser known but well-respected teams um, who those in the know talk about, like Gonzaga or Texas or Florida or Xavier. You know, um, in, in, in among appellate circles, those might be circuits like the Third or the Seventh Circuits, really consistent circuits that don't get as much attention nationally. Um, and then you might have sort of those really small, overlooked uh, teams like uh, Loyola Chicago or uh, University of Maryland, Baltimore County from a couple of years ago. Um, and the analogy there would be the first circuit or the small circuit. Don't get a ton of attention, but they're still plugging along. Brian, thanks so much for being on the show and explaining how the federal civil appeals work. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me, Scott. This was a lot of fun. This episode was produced by the Center for Litigation and Courts at UC Hastings College of the Law. If you enjoyed this episode of Litigation Briefs, I hope you'll tune in to future episodes. In fact, I hope you'll consider subscribing to our YouTube channel and audio podcast, which can be accessed through the Center for Litigation and Courts website at sites.ucastings.edu slash CLC. While you're at it, encourage a friend to do the same. This is Litigation Briefs, respectfully submitted, Scott Dodson.